Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Um, in this live stream, we have an extra special guest, Andreas Welsh, who is a VP at SAP and he handles AI solutions for um, enterprise. So we're happy to have him on the show. Andreas, you want to take a moment to introduce yourself? Perfect. First of all, thanks, Manny, for, for having me. I'm so excited to be on the show. I've been watching many of, of your recent episodes. Um, so glad to be able to make an appearance here too. Um, so I, um, I've, I've been working in, in the AI space for about the last six years, uh, roughly, I would say. Um, started when you know AI was this, this new thing, this hype, and um, we're working with customers and early adopters on what is AI, how can it help your business, um, what is already available so you can test the waters. Um, and then um, within SAP, moved into an, a role where I was leading product management for AI, bringing more of these innovations into our core processes. Um, maybe for, for those of you that uh, have not heard of, of SAP or are not that familiar with what SAP does, uh, SAP is, is the world's leading business application um, software company. Um, and, and many of, of the household names uh, that, that we all know run their business on, on SAP, whether it's for things like planning, material management, employee engagement, um, basically any type of um, operation that, that, that a company would do. Um, and so from there on, um, moved over in, in, into something we call solution management, where we um, help make it easier for our customers to understand what's available, how can you consume it, and, and so on. So really excited um, about this space of AI and automation and what it brings in terms of value and, and opportunities and what we can do with this amazing technology, but not just for the sake of technology, but in, in the context of solving a, big, uh, a business problem. Awesome. And I'll take a moment to, to ask people to drop in your comments, your questions. This is a, a live session. So, um, you know, that's the nice thing about these sort of things is you can participate as well. So feel free to do that. Um, Andreas, I, you know, I, I think of SAP, like I think of ERP and asset planning. And in my experience as, as going into enterprises and trying to develop machine learning solutions, analytic solutions, I always felt like that was the richest pool of data that I could start off with. There wasn't a lot of IoT data. There wasn't a lot of OT data. But when I looked at their ERP systems and their asset management systems, like there was a lot of data around the assets, around when they failed, their usage. And so I always felt like that was a good place to start. Have you found that or, or, or have you seen something different? Yeah, no, um, I think you're, you're you're spot on, and it, it, it mirrors um, what what I've seen as, as well, and, and what we see, because you know um, when you when you look at uh, data that, that is captured in, in an ERP system, a lot of it is um, transactional data, a lot of it is obviously structured data, so you know um, what this data looks like. It's it's text in tables in fields, so it's it's rather clean and, and clear what the data yeah. is that you have that you can work with doesn't mean that it's always complete for what you want to do or, or, or it's it's that, that that clean right you might need to do some data prep and, and cleansing these type of things um but it's it's typically a lot easier to work with than with unstructured data um, where you have a pdf document or an excel or an image and you want to um you, you know scrape some characters off of it and make sense of of that um but there is a lot of opportunity right um and um, 
we we also see customers you know moving into that that iot uh, area and, and direction um where they do have sensors um that send data that you then in in, in the end again um try to make sense of in, in your erp system um for example think of something uh, like a, a cold chain um from no, say uh, um say vaccines for example from the time they are created made produced to the time they reach your doctor's office or, or the hospital that cold chain needs to be uh, secured um, otherwise the, the vaccines go bad so you know having um having sensors for example in the uh, in, in the trucks that monitor the temperature things like acceleration these type of things uh, and, and feed that information back to erp then lets you analyze that data and say hey if um if if the temperature in in, in that cooling uh, in environment is out of um out of tolerance by two three four degrees um whatever it may be that you define then alert me but alert me not only when i get the product and i see it's gone bad but alert me in, uh, as it is in transit so that i can um, decide and, and work out with the manufacturer how I want to handle this. So I think there are a lot of opportunities there um, when we combine again physical with uh, digital worlds. Yes, yes, and I, I, I always like I always felt like that was like the the place where I went when I started POCs with enterprises, where like I went to the ERP data to look for um, for clean structured transactional data. To your point, to at least show them something like, okay, here's the insights that you have in your data that you haven't been paying attention to. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like as you work with companies and businesses and enterprises, um, what are like, what are some of your earlier um, steps? What are some of the things that you do early on in an engagement to help a company or nudge them in a more data driven type of direction to show them, you know, a, like maybe the insights that, they're leaving on the table, so to speak, by not mining their data, or maybe you're showing them what's possible mm -hmm. um, by um, by showing them examples and POCs. What's 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 some of those early thing? What are some of those early things that you do in in, in your engagements? Sure. Yeah, I, I think it it starts really with that business question of what is it that you are trying to achieve, and sometimes even answering that question is not as simple as it might sound. Um, because we see that a lot of times, right, that the baseline you need to define your status quo, to define what's good and, and what's better, that's not always readily accessible or, or easily available, right? I, I think we have a problem here or there. So first of all, I would say define the, the metrics, identify the, the metrics um, that matter to you and, and that you want to improve. Um, and then you, you know, look at, look at data yes but also make sure that the, the stakeholders involved in, in that project um do have a different perspective on, on the same problem so it, it's not just an it problem it's not just a, a manufacturing problem but when you bring different stakeholders together you get different kinds of experience and, and different flavors of things that you should consider and i find that a lot of times that's already a, a huge step forward and, and a win in itself, raising that awareness, shaping that AI mindset in, in the organization that you work with. Um, so that, you know, over time, 
with the next project and the next project and the next project, they really get into this habit um, of, of how things can um, be, be done successfully in, in, at scale. Gotcha. So number one, identify your metrics, look at the business case and say, hey, what are what are the numbers that we want to move up or move down? Try to identify a baseline of, of performance or metric. Like we're going to try to get 20% above, above, above this level. Sometimes that's hard to get. And then get the stakeholders together and help them develop an AI mindset so that they uh, kind of appreciate what they're doing. Are there, are there certain uh, attributes of that AI mindset? How would you define that? Um, you know, what's, what's, you know, if you think in your mind, like someone that really has a really good AI mindset, what kind of characteristics come to mind when you think of that person? Sure. Yeah. To, to me, that, that AI mindset means, um, a, a few different things. One is general awareness of what is this thing AI? Um, you know, how, how can we, how can we use it? What are the opportunities? Because it's not all just dystopian. It's going to steal my job or your job and, you know, this, this kind of thing. Um, but really ha have a, at least a basic understanding of, of what it can do. It can give you recommendations. It can classify or categorize things. It can make proposals. Um, these, these type of actions that you need in, in a business context and, and that can help that business user work more efficiently and, and more effectively. As you look at, at different roles um, that, that you have in, in your business and, and where it gets more technical, uh, having a better understanding and, and a better grasp of concrete technologies, how would I actually do this and what do I need, uh, then becomes important as well. Um, but regardless of, of whether it's more a, a business um, type person or context or more of a technologist, um, having having this understanding that when we do work on AI, it starts with data as, as the first point and, and, and the first thing that, that we really need to get good outcomes is, is already uh, a, an important learning too. Um, but in, in, in that regard, right, I um, talked about that the other day on, on, on my channel, that not every business problem is an AI problem. And, and that's a, a big thing as, as well that, that you need to get across or that you want to get across when you talk about this mindset. Because a lot of times it's so easy to, to jump to that conclusion. Yes, it's AI, we'll, we'll do it. It's innovative. It's great. We need to do it. Everybody else is doing it. Yes, but you know, the, the problem you're trying to solve, can you solve it more quickly, uh, more robustly, easier, simpler with the resources you have if you uh, just apply some rules, for example? Right. And it, it, it fixes the, the same problem. So that's why I say start with the business problem first and then determine how can we actually solve this. A hundred percent, Andreas. And I think we were going, we were chatting about this on LinkedIn, but you know, I, I came in as the AI machine learning expert. And for a lot of companies, they want to say they're implementing AI machine learning. And I would look at their problem and what they were trying to solve. And 50% of the time, it was just a digitization problem where like they were they had this problem in their workflow and somebody was using paper and and pen and i just felt like well you don't need ocr or anything you just need to move this to an application and that's probably going to increase the overall value to the system and that's like that doesn't require ai but it's probably one of the first things that you should be doing <laughs> 
absolutely i think you're you're spot on there right um think about all the paper-based processes that still exist in in companies um you know even even in, in things like finance for example when your customer sends you um, something that's called a payment advice hey next week uh, i'm going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars for these five invoices good luck figure out which ones uh, i i mean and if there's any residual and so on so you know you wonder even from a vendor's perspective, hey, how come this is not fully digitized yet? We, we do have the means, um, but just the way business is being done and has been done for so long, um, that that has not evolved to, to that level yet. But I see we, we, we have a few good questions in, in the chat already. Yeah, let's let's go into one of these here. What, what Which are the key factors to consider when you're designing services based on AI to improve the current business process, and how can we get sponsorship in in the company with the chiefs or the or the executive leaders or the decision makers? I think it's a good question by Lewis. Thank you. You want to feel that one, Andres? Sure. Yeah. So, Lewis and um, those watching, I, I think it, it really comes down to uh, to hard facts. Can you show that you have a problem, and and what? Um, what the implication or the impact of that problem is, where you're spending more time, where you are spending more of, of your resources or more of your money doing things that you really shouldn't be doing yourself or should have people do, but things that could be automated. Um, so things like a process intelligence, process discovery and analysis, this this whole step or, or um, type of, of technology, if you will, I, I would see that in many cases as a precursor to even kicking off an AI project. Because, you know, it, it sounds cliche, but you can't really optimize what you don't know. And if, if you don't know the, the facts, if it's a gut feeling, yes, you know, you might be onto something, but it's easier to show, hey, we're um, spending X amount of days, resources, money on, on doing this um, activity where we believe we can automate it and maybe even automate it with AI. Yeah, that that that's a great response, Andreas. I would I would definitely echo that. I would also say I like your point about starting with the business metric and the business problem, and then thinking about your toolbox. Right, like what do I have? Do I have machine learning? I have rules. I have automation. I have digitization. Okay, let's solve this problem. And maybe fifty percent of the of the solution is going to be AI. But there's just like really good low-hanging fruit that we can pick up by using rules and analytics and sometimes data aggregation, I feel like is just so highly valued. I come into a shop and they're like, oh, we want to get all these insights. And like, well, you just needed these statistics, these roll-ups on these past two years on a monthly basis in this nice, really cool chart. And people are like, oh my gosh, like, yes, that's great. That's exactly what we need right now. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's sometimes as, as simple as that, right? So yeah, I think that's a really that's a really good point. They're starting with the with the business par problem and the metrics. Um, Andres, you you talked about um, an AI mindset, and you know I feel like that's becoming mandatory for individuals and organizations moving forward. Like I think five years ago, like maybe like not so much. It was kind of cool, like. If you had, if you, if you know, if you're a senior leader, you're familiar with AI, machine learning, and data. That's a bonus. But today, it's almost like required because of how many industries and businesses are going to be impacted, disrupted, and enhanced by AI, machine learning. I'm wondering if you're seeing that as well, or, or if you would disagree with that. Yeah. 
I think you know it's it, it certainly evolved. Um, when I think back to 2016, 17, and, and, and being more in, in these business development type roles, helping educate customers in a sense or enabling uh, on on what is machine learning and what is AI, that that conversation has evolved uh, dramatically and in 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 a way that is positive because the questions we get now is well, Ray, you tell me you have this AI uh, in in your product. Or are you telling me I should use AI somewhere in, in my process? But you know, what is the concrete benefit that I can expect if I do do this? Um, so really, this this point around AI literacy uh, is is um, taking shape and, and um, is, is is sharpened even more. And I believe it's certainly no longer sufficient to just read uh, HBR articles or browseforbes.com. Um, on, on, on what these buzzwords mean, but really to be and, and become more data literate, to become more AI literate. Um, and I think that the best way to, to do this is by doing these experiments, doing these these projects, early projects, um, and, and learning and building that learning culture also in, in your organization. And, and who's spearheading that, Andreas, in your view? Is it like, is it a Chief, te uh, chief technical officer? Is it a chief digital officer? Is it business unit leaders? Like who is the the person that really has to make sure they have that AI mindset and is be, being a leader and an advocate and is both helping the company think about how to use AI and how not to use AI? Like, is there a person that comes to mind? I, I think it, it actually applies to, to any business function, right? Even, even if you're the, the CHR or, or, or the CFO, you want to ensure that you, people in, in your organization also have a, a sense of understanding of what is AI, what is automation. Not so, not so much, again, because uh, of, of the technology or for technology's sake, but rather if, if you're close to that business process and, and, and you're doing these steps day in, day out, you know that process in and out too, like the back of your hand. And you know where it breaks, you know where it's tedious, you know where you're missing things or you work where you have to do things three or four times and, and do it in, in multiple systems, these kinds of, of insights. So em empowering uh, these, these business analysts, business users to at least identify these opportunities and, and surface them um, I think is 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 key, and 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 that applies to all different domains. Um, what I see is when you then talk more about technology and and whether it's which one to use or or particularly which vendor to use, then it, it becomes much more of an IT technology type conversation when it's about governance, about standardization, about best practices that you want to establish. But it's definitely something that that happens hand in hand, um, and where it doesn't, I can only recommend to evolve it to, to that stage. Right, and um, you talked about uh, the way to uh, learn about AI literacy is actually to start doing it, to start running pilots and projects and experiments. What's the guidance there? Like what's, a, what's the ideal way to do that? Uh, or what's the, you know, some of the, what are, what are some good experiences that companies have had running experiments what's how does how does someone that's leading those types of effort make it an enjoyable and and an insightful experience for the companies any any thoughts there yeah um something that that we've seen in in, in our own transformation or evolution is 
um, to to do it with a community um, of of people. Certainly, you know, it, it depends on the the type of company culture and in, in, in the size. But if if you are a mid-sized, large, and uh, enterprise type company, um, forming this community around this topic can help um, create a different dynamic and, and a positive dynamic around this this topic of AI and learning. And what have you seen? Maybe you know some people have have dabbled in it already, and, and they can say, "Hey, I've, I've tried this out. I, I know this didn't really work well, but if you change certain things, um, we've we've seen better outcomes." So this this culture of, of community, of exchange, of networking, especially something that, that we found in, in our environment to be very positive and integrated and stimulate a lot more um, ideas and, and thoughts on that topic. Um, I would say if, if you're a smaller company, if you have somebody um, on, on your team that has worked in BI or, or analytics, it, it's a great stepping stone as, as well to evolve your career, to look into this this new area you already know data data cleansing data wrangling um, all the prerequisites um, to to get to to a good result for analytics and, and bi so that the next step um, is becoming a, a lot easier and um, the other thing is you don't have to be a data scientist anymore to do ai or to use ai so looking at the products you already use in your environment and go through a feature list what is already there that you might not be using today might um, deliver excellent results as well without having to invest in a, a huge project you know in bringing on um, new resources or, or upskilling people to to that level so look at what's already in, in the products you use and what benefits that can bring you 100 percent. i think that's so important I've, and i've talked about this in previous streams around upskilling individuals that are already in the business and augmenting their skill set with ai machine learning analytics type of capabilities and i like that from a couple of reasons one is you know a big part of what entail what, what a big part of what makes ai and machine learning successful is domain expertise and no one's going to have that more than an analyst or an engineer or a process uh, control person that's on the on the floor and they're going to have loads of that and then you can teach them how to work in python or r or tableau okay that's like an online course that's not a problem and that's great and then i also like it from the fact that it's actually it's really hard to go out into the marketplace for most companies and get that type of talent and bring them into um, I say like a non-tech, a non-software type of organization. So you're, if you know, if if you're training these people, you're getting the both the best of both of those worlds. Like you get do solid domain expertise, but then also you are getting talent perhaps at a discount, and also you're helping your employee level up their skill sets as well. So everybody wins. Absolutely, yeah. And um, I, I like that that example that you mentioned about uh, a, a control technician or somebody on, on the shop floor. Actually, a couple of years ago, I um, um, visited one of our customers in, in, in the US, a large retailer. And um, together with our CTO, we did uh, some, some research and, and some uh, user interviews, if, if you will. So we visited distribution centers. We visited, uh, we visited the retail store. We visited corporate office and, and talked to different people. And just getting a, a, a more complete picture of, of what a day in, in that business looks like 
you know, even, even from some uh, perspectives, has already been uh, so valuable to, to see, you know, how, how, for me personally, first of all, what does the distribution center even look like from the inside? And, and you have all, all these um, belts and you have the, the packages that come and they get scanned. Um, do you do it with labels? Do you do it with RFIDs? Why do you do it with one over the other? Um, these, these type of things, picking, packing, what can you optimize? Um, how do you stack the boxes in, in, in your trailer um, so that you don't have a lot of wasted space? All these things that, that you're probably not necessarily exposed to if you think so well. Where could I use AI? Right? That's that's not how, how those ideas are typically conceived. So to your point that business knowledge, or if you don't have it yourself, talk to the people that are on, on, on the ground, that do run that, that process day in, day out. How do they do it? What frustrates them? What could be done better? And that's where I think you get a lot of valuable ideas um, in your own business already. Great advice. Uh, some of my best data scientists were also really good at talking with engineers, um, um, quality control analysts, people on the ground floor, and understanding the process and had almost like a like a user centric approach to data science. Um, I, I just found that the folks that didn't want to do that miss obvious things in their modeling and in their solution building so we like i could I, as i was managing these projects i would you know we would check in with the subject matter experts and the folks that didn't do that well they would present a solution and the engineer that had spent all their time say like in manufacturing they would say like that's obviously not correct like that's like or like that's like obviously yeah that's the case we're already doing that very simply and they would completely miss the miss the uh, miss the aim, but the data scientists that sp spent the time understanding the entire process, uh, talking to the individuals, and appreciating all the nuances, they were able to come up with the interesting solutions where the subject matter experts were saying like, "Yes, oh, that's exactly it. That would make my life a hundred percent easier." And what's neat about that is. If you're able to convince those subject matter experts, those engineers, they're going to talk to their managers and then their managers are going to help you craft the, the business case. And then those managers are going to be able to sell, sell that to the executive group. And they're, then you're ultimately going to get the project funded. But it's really important to get the buy-in from those from those frontline front people. It's so, so critical, but it's also a hard thing to do. It's a skill that I think a lot of data scientists lack. Yeah, and you know, building on that, if you if you like to learn, and if if, if you also set that that collaboration model up uh, accordingly, you can always think about it as a, as a greenhouse. You you run your project in a defined scope. You get business um, um, and analysts and, and experts in. You have your data scientists, but they both learn and, and grow together as part of this project because the business person will pick up some skills around data, data science. How do I ask questions um, when I when I talk to my stakeholders when I need to acquire information? And at the same time, your, your data scientists will learn about a concrete business problem and get to see how they make an impact if, if their model goes to production. I really like that framing, Andreas, because um, I oftentimes felt, as a former data scientist myself and trying to do this, I would oftentimes feel like certain engineers were annoyed that I was taking time away from their day job. <laughs> so like, hey, will you spend six 
six hours telling me about your entire process from a naive person that knows has zero understanding of it. Like, t- like, tell me about semiconductor manufacturing. What's the chemistry? How do you do that? What's a, you know, and they're like, Oh my gosh, like uh, this is like bad for me. But if you frame it the way that you're framing it, I, that's really compelling. I, I can say like, Hey, I'm going to teach you about AI analytics, machine learning, how you can do more with this data, how to make your life easier. And you're going to teach me about semiconductor manufacturing. And that's the fair trade. I think I think that makes that much more palatable. That's really good. Yeah, that can be a nice win-win. Yes, yes. Um, you talked about building a community within organizations. Uh, who, are, who are some of the personas, some of the titles, some of the people that you want involved in that community as you're trying to build that out? So for us, um, as a as, as a software company, and, and doing that in in one of our largest uh, engineering units, that was product managers, product owners, um, data scientists, engineers, but coming out of the different domains for asset management, for supply chain, for finance, into in, engage in, in in this community share you know we've we've seen um, this and that work on a use case working with pdf documents where we work with customers and it's taking us this or that long and, and these were some of the hurdles we, we had to overcome or for, for this or that reason this project has not progressed uh, further than a, a, a prototype at this point in time and somebody else says well have you tried this or that or, or we've run into a similar issue maybe go talk to uh, joe in, in in this or that department so this this um, dialogue, this, this networking is is really key. Um, I think for business outside of high tech or outside of software, it would be different um, members of, of of a department. It doesn't necessarily have to be the the head of the department. I think somewhere um, where somebody goes through that process on, on a day to day basis uh, is is already a a good candidate, um, and if somebody has an affinity for data, for analytics, if they are maybe uh, someone that, that creates the, the reports and, and posts the data from, from systems, um, and if they have an interest in, in, in this topic, most of all, then you you find already the, the, the right mindset to evolve in, into an AI mindset. How, how do you think about the mechanism? Is it that these, like, I, like you have some sort of group, are they just, on a on a LinkedIn, uh, excuse me. Are they are like in an internal group uh, within the con- the company's uh, um, intranet, or is it an email distribution thing, or is it a weekly meeting, monthly meeting kind of thing? What are some of the the, the details and the, and the mechanics that go into building that community? I, I um, you know, first of all, it, it needs some some structure, and to foster that in, engagement. In, in our case, we've used different um, types of media. We we do have a regular newsletter uh, that, that comes out about once a, uh, once a month. It talks about some of the highlights that um, are we we call them AI ambassadors. Should mm. be aware of. Um, then it's also uh, a matter of pairing them up with technology teams or with somebody that is familiar or more familiar with using certain technologies and bring those technology experts in. Um, for a webinar type um, session or, or a meeting and, and present 
what is what is new what can you use with with this technology so if you see something in in your business area or in your business process here are some examples how you can solve this um yeah that yeah that's that's good that's good advice is is having that um, common distribution i like the ai ambassador things because you always need people to be spearheading these things in um i was at a financial services company, a fairly large one, and we were trying to get data science off the ground. And what we did is we put together uh, an affinity group that got together every two weeks to talk about just data science, machine learning within the context of the business. We had the company sponsor lunch for us. Um, and we had, you know, the, our managers got bought in. But I really enjoyed that because I got to connect with other like-minded individuals in other parts of the in other parts of the organization and we were all learning together we were sharing best practices and we were we were kind of building kind of like a small growing coalition around making the organization more data driven more machine learning and we can we could pull our our influence together to make things happen so for example our studio which is open source um you know IT had a block on that and so one of us could complain about it, but we couldn't do anything about it. But all of us complaining about it, like yeah. all of a sudden, like IT's got a budget to make our studio available for us. <laughs> right. And 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 I think it it's it's also uh, reassuring in in a sense to to see that others are likely struggling with the same problems that you are struggling. Data, getting access to data, clean data, um, skill set to 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 that point. And somebody's probably figured out something already that you just don't know of yet. So by having this this dialogue and, and, and also, um, you know, sometimes we we just, just have calls that, that are not necessarily moderated or where, where we don't have a fixed agenda. But if, if somebody wants to present something that they have been working on or where they have made progress, that then again stimulates that, that discussion. Yeah, totally. Um, Andreas, can you talk a little bit about where companies are getting stuck with AI innovation, AI projects, like as you look back on some of your projects and the companies that you've worked with, like say like the last 10 or something, and if you're looking at the ones where you didn't really get the best outcome you wanted, what's the root cause there? What are some of the things that are happening that are keeping companies from moving forward with, with, this, uh, with this capability? That's a really good question. Um... I would say a lot of times it does come down to data and into process. Now every business is is unique, and as as much as we try to standardize um, processes, and as as much as as they're being commoditized, there's always some nuance how business A does it over business B or, or C. So depending depending upon that nuance, you might have data or you might be missing some data that is critical to um to, to build a complete feature set so on, on, on that data front how standardized is, is your process how how easily can i take what i've done here cookie cutter uh, and, and replicate that i think that's um that's that's one thing on the other hand for for customers there is or companies there, there's no need to do everything as a one-off so to that point again, take a look at what's already there, what you can use, and then compare, does it work with the data I, I have? Does it work with the products and, and, and the processes I, I have? Would be my recommendation as a, as a first step to, to mitigate 
spending time on a lot of analysis and coming out at the end with, well, that's probably not going to work here. So lack of data, that's yeah. a big problem. I see that all the time too. I feel like 50% of my projects get killed because we don't have data. <laughs> right, and, and you, you don't find that out in, in the first meeting. So it, right. it takes some time until you get to that point. Um, I would say with, with unstructured data, there's also always the the challenge. Um, how do you how do you get access to that data? Do you have sufficient ground truth to know, you know, in a, in an uh, CSV file or Excel file, these are the values that are correct that map to this PDF. So that if I train my model um, using this this ground truth, I, I can evaluate the the performance. We work with unstructured data. Um, is it is it complete? What what results do you get? How do you augment that that data set? How do you add new data? How do you train, retrain, push out these these models on, on this operational um, AI ops, ML ops type um, site? And, and I think that's that's another area as, as well where I would recommend taking a good look at that um, and also looking at how you run this or want to run this in, in your company. So establishing that that process in, in a sense too. Right. And with with data, data is tricky because it's sort of a chicken and the egg kind of thing because uh, companies want to do AI but don't have data. But then when I ask them to invest in data infrastructure and collection, they say, well, we don't see the value in collecting this data. Well, it's because you need the data to generate the insights, but you know you don't have that because you don't have the data yet. So, how you know it, you know have you seen that as well? What's the you know what's worked in helping companies appreciate that? Like in five years, their data is probably going to be one of the most valuable assets they have on their balance sheet, and you're right now you're not managing it that correctly. You're probably letting a lot of that fall through the cracks. So you have to capture it, but it's going to take some upfront investment for you to do that and see the value later on. Have you seen that? What's kind of how do you how do you tackle that um, persuasion problem? I think a lot of times it's it's also the, the the realization. Well, we might not have enough data yet. So think of something like a cold start problem where you um, need a certain amount of data to to train your model in in the first place. But it's hey, let's wait a quarter, maybe two to accumulate the data and, and have that data generated as a result of business transactions. And then we revisit that again um, and, and run that proof of concept or run that prototype uh, and pilot again to, to see what results we, we can get. But it is it is an investment. It, it does take some time. But if you always push it off, we'll do that next year or in three years or when we have time, chances are it's it's not going to happen. So you're missing out on, on that opportunity while you are sitting on, on that gold mine of, of data. Right. And I feel like uh, you open yourself to the possibility of being disrupted by someone coming in with a, with to your marketplace with a service that's leveraging AI and data. And now you want to respond to that and you want to do that in the next couple of quarters. But you find that you can't do that because it requires like more data than, than you've captured up until that point. That's right. I think Luis asked another question in the chat, I see. Yeah, let's bring it up. All right, some advice for how you can train your model in the beginning of a project with few data sources. So I think we just touched on that a little bit, but feel free to jump on that. I'll, I'll add some comments too. Sure. 
it's a it's a challenge um it's it, it's something I, I believe you need to look at in individually um one ad advice could be look for something where you can use pre-trained models if, if that is uh, something that that is available and see how how good results you get with that if it's really a, a custom project um spend some time accumulating that data or as a as another option um educate users that you that you are working on this project you're accumulating data so if if they see something that either is is not right we're using that to to tweak this model over time or better yet um you know just overall educate them hey we're we're working on on this project right now the data you create helps um to to feed it into that model in a quarter's time um so I think being realistic and managing those those expectations is is important. And the other part is once you do put it in in production, um, you know this this whole change management around it, and, and and ideally you start that as you start the the project thinking about change management. That is making your users aware that here is some help, some machine learning AI, some intelligence running in in the background, but it's not perfect it, it's not perfect like you are not perfect right you're not 100 percent accurate all, all the time but it, it helps you do some things more easily more quickly sometimes it, it might be off and, and that is okay we're all sometimes off um but most of the time it, it helps you boost your, your productivity uh, and, and increase your efficiency so managing that that expectation i, I think is is key and having feedback loops in, in something like a hyper care phase when you introduce that that new capability to say hey what what do you see works really well what do we need to tweak um and and, and have that that closer contact and, and engagement with those that use it uh, andreas you said that sometimes some of us are off i feel like that's the base case for me i'm oftentimes off <laughs> that's at least that's my wife would tell you that, that, um, that's what makes us human right, <laughs> right. No. i know right like yeah like hey you're not gonna be 100 percent all the time why should you expect like a an algorithm i guess that's the benefit of an algorithm and why you offload it but right. um at least at start at the start like maybe uh not not so much high uh pressure or aim um i i would also i think those are all great thoughts i would also add that um, there are, you know, I like, this is why I like Andreas's point of starting with the business problem first, and then thinking about the array of options that you have to solve that problem. So I oftentimes would see data scientists come into a problem and off the bat, try to do deep learning, supervised learning approaches. And those are great approaches and they're very effective, but they require a ton of data. And, you know, you need labels, you need a ton of labels for supervised learning. You need uh, you need the outputs and the inputs and you need to map that over a long period of time. You need it. You need it over different paradigms. You need it over different um, um, operational modes. That is really expensive to collect from a data perspective. So what can you do if you can't do that? Well, maybe you might do anomaly detection that you don't need a ton of labels for that. You can just plot the overall history of the time series. And then when it goes here, that's an alert. Well, it's not going to give you a prediction, but maybe you can send that over to an analyst to look at and start getting some insights there. Or you don't have enough data to do anomaly detection. Okay, maybe you can do rules-based. So just, you know, these four things, when this triggers and this triggers and this triggers, then do this. That's a good place to start too, to, to start 
helping your organization think about the data and the organization. So I would say, um, uh, Lewis, to kind of think about the level of complexity that you need and what's going to give you the the most bang for your buck in terms of addressing the business problem. So that's why I really like Andreas's point there, like start there and then go into your toolbox of options and say, hey, how can we add value? Because you're early on in the process and you're trying to convince this organization or this company or this team to be more AI mindset um, friendly and to be more data driven. You want to kind of like ease into that, I would say. Absolutely. Okay, we have some other questions here. All right, let's ask well, another question here from Michael. When is the proper time to introduce corporate privacy policies to AI training? Oh, that's a good one, Michael. You're stumping us, man. You're this is that's a two hundred one level type of question, but I like it. Uh, any any thoughts there, Andreas? <laughs> two two thoughts. Um, one is at the very beginning uh, of of the project before you even started setting that that baseline, and the second one is always so continuously uh look at it um review it um as as you review your results um i think if if you own the data in in, in your business it's probably a little easier than if you're a, a software vendor and you you build this for uh, hundreds and, and thousands of, of customers but nonetheless data data privacy um data protection are, are very important um and you know looking at our our friends in the European Union with the general data protection regulation. There's a lot of a lot of information, a lot of requirements there that, that benefit individuals, that benefit society. And you want to make sure that you in incorporate that early on um, and, and, and that you think about it continuously. Same with um, topics around ethics or responsible AI, that it's not an afterthought. Once we're done building this model and we put it in production, well, um, does it, does it hurt or, or help uh, you you should really do that at, at the very beginning and um i, I believe it, it's an investment that allows you to to scale with with each and, and every product in um, or project and apply this learning and, and these standards to everything that you do so you in, invest and you continuously monitor a hundred percent um and michael what i would say as a former data scientist start me off with with you know secured private snippets of the data like don't even give me the option of looking at what might be sensitive data and you can do that if you have um, a data management platform that allows you to be very specific about controls um, to be very specific uh, uh, um, around access who has access to certain things so I would expect um, your your data, professionals to be able to turn that in off for me as a data scientist so that I only start with data that is already pre-approved for me to look at. Um, and then of course, if I'm, you know, if I'm doing additional things to it, if I'm combining it with other things and it's going downstream, I have to think about that. But I would say like, as a data scientist, like I want to be making sure that I'm starting off with, with data that I'm supposed to be looking at that is controlled that um, I can actually do some work with. Okay. Um, great questions. Keep them coming. Yeah. I mean, this is, again, the benefit of going live is that we get to field your questions in real time. So great questions. Keep them coming. The harder, the better, I would say. 
Um, very neat. Um, I think you talked about, so we talked about lack of data. How do we get companies to invest in data infrastructure? You also talked about another key pain point that I'm seeing out there too, Andreas, which is customization. So this notion that you have to go in and solve um, uh, a similar type of problem many times, which isn't all that scalable. It's like it's a one to it's a it's a many to many type of problem, whereas for scalability you want a one to many. And I find that also being somewhat painful for companies in terms of getting a real good return on their investment on AI is scaling out their data science resources and their people and getting enough alpha off of those uh, to to make up for the spend. You know, what are companies doing in that respect that 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 makes that a little bit more palatable? Um, any ideas that come to mind in terms of how to improve on that problem? One of the things I would recommend, what I what I also see in, in the market is look also for reusable technology components. So um, many times, you know, we, um, I am in, in customer conversations in, in, in my peers as, as well, and, and we see that company XYZ is assigning their data science resources to do named entity recognition and, and extraction. Well, there are models and services already built and commercially available mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe some open sources as well that you can use so you don't need to focus on on, on this part so a lot of it I, I believe has also again to do with data scientists awareness of what else is there mm -hmm. is, is out there not everything needs to start um, on a blank sheet of paper so that would be my recommendation to look at what others are, are already doing um, another classic case we, we see is when we talk to the organizations, hey, I, I want to categorize incoming tickets and assign it to the right category or, or to the right agent, and maybe uh, propose some recommended solutions based on what agents has, uh, have historically uh, replied. There's no need to, to do that from scratch. Companies and, and software vendors are, are doing it, SAP, for example. So. Again, spend spend your resources, invest your resources in, in areas that are truly differentiating. And coming back to the point, look at what's already commercially available or um, available as open source that helps you jumpstart your project. 100%. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think a good product owner or project manager can help you do that. Um, as a former data scientist, I'll tell you that I always wanted to build it myself because I wanted to learn. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't have. You don't have to go out and get it. I can do an NLB, NLP bot. Like I, I can fork it. I can work on it. So if you leave it to the technical people, <laughs> you may do have to do a lot of D, uh, DIY. But yeah, if you're a product manager, definitely always think about how you can reuse services, and especially if you're in the prototyping phase, because what you're after is you're after results. So if you're able to get that um, name recognition fast and it's cost you less time and it's an API service or whatever, you know, people, your, your, your managers and your, and your executives are not going to care. They're just going to care that you were able to implement this new technology and it's up and running and it's, and it's seamlessly working. It, it also comes back to, is it truly differentiating for your business or for the problem you're solving or is that, in, in, in a sense, repeatable, reusable, almost commoditized and, and non-differentiating in, in that sense. 
so you don't have to go in and, and build it and also in, in terms of accuracy for example there's a two percent improvement between taking something off the shelf and, and something that you built justify the investment that you're making or is it is it fair to say let's let's take this yeah it, it, it works um we can progress in, in in our project much more quickly um because we take these these repeatable things and, and reusable things and then again invest time and, and resources where it, it is differentiating solid point i think you're right you you do have to differentiate between whether or not the function is core to your business or not like if it's like you know accounting um hr like th those are all kind of standard uh services that every business has to deal with but if it's your core competency involved then i think i would make the case for it being a little bit more diy because it's you're probably going to know that better than anybody else and you're not going to find the level of performance that you need out there and it may also be a new revenue source for you or it may be a new competitive asset for you as a company to invest in that so that's a really good point yeah, yeah absolutely yeah the other thing that that comes to mind is i i, I wonder you know, it's it's been a few months since I've seen the um, new job profiles that Gartner has um, has put out there with AI or machine learning engineers and uh, data scientists, data engineers, um, these these type of roles. I believe once we see more of of these roles and official job profiles and job titles in in companies, that separation of what is the job of a data scientist, but it's the job of an, um, an ML engineer, then also be, becomes clearer. And maybe it's it's not necessarily just the data scientist that needs to know all of this, but it's a matter of translating between business requirements, looking at what is already out there that we can use and what do we really need to build something custom for. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also address we talked about this concept of you know you focus on the business problem first the metrics and then you go to your toolbox of solutions ai being one of them but the other ones that i get a little bit confused by uh, as well is rpa and automation so i'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about um a how do you see rpa how would you define that uh and then b how does it contrast with ai and maybe c when would you use one over the other sorry to give you all all three of yeah. And then one all, slice, but all good. Let's let's see if I can put them in, in, in one answer. So yes, different technologies um, are used and should be used for, for different purposes. With AI, it's about identifying patterns in large amounts of or from large amounts of data that you have and give a prediction or, or give a result. Um, to a user or as, as a next step in, in the process. It can be on, on structured data, like I said, financial um, data. Or, um, it can also be extracting information from, from documents and, and from unstructured data. That's where it's, it, it's really good at. But when you, so on a, on, on a very specific, narrow and, and well-defined task, if you look at what happens in, in a business process, for example, um, an, an analyst in finance needs to log into a vendor invoice portal, download the invoice, save it on their desktop, copy and paste data, 
into um, an, an ERP system, for example, right, or some kind of screen, and then um, maybe add some information and click submit so that moves on to, to the next step. There's a very well-defined um, case for, for using AI, which would be to extract that information from the PDF and then to put it into your um, ERP system or to pre-fill um, your, your, um, your mask. But you would still need that person to log into the website, download the PDF, save it, and then upload it such that ML or AI can run. And that's where something like robotic process automation comes in. Um, like the term says, it's it's robotic. So it's, it's also repeatable in, in, in that sense um, for really those, those tasks and, and, and actions that you do on a, on a regular basis um, that are not value adding, but you still need to do them. And in many cases, that also means integration, right? How do I integrate this vendor portal with my backend system? And one way can be uh, through either click-based automation or through API-based automation. I take something from here and I put it there. So in, in combination, you can take care of, of these repeatable mundane steps where somebody really needs to click and download something and extract information, make sense of, of that data by using AI. So it's really that combination and, and working in, in concert. That's the value. Yeah, I would imagine that there there is a lot of value from them working together. So like a lot of uh, RPA systems in place to do all the steps to collect data and to do all the different things you have to do. But then maybe you call an API that's leveraging a machine learning model to get back into the RPA business workflow and continue doing its thing and adding value to the end user. Correct. And the, the beautiful thing is that over the last four or five years, it's gotten a lot easier to, to do both. And again, you don't need to be a data scientist to use that API that extracts that data from your PDF. Right. If you're a developer, if you're an RPA bot developer, you can call it and, and you know how to call an API. You call that API for um, extracting information from documents, just like you would call in any other API in, um, in in your applications too. Spot on. Yes, the you know where Auto ML is now. Like if you need to extract objects from an image, you you it's an API call away, and it comes back. You get all the meta information, and you're you know you're integrating into your system. That's a really good call out. Perfect. Awesome. Um, we are at the top of our hour. Time just flew talking about all this um, awesome stuff, Andreas. Um, anything else that you want to talk about? Anything, any, any, any closing remarks, anything you want to mention? So look, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity um, in the, the field of, of AI in the enterprise, in business processes has evolved in uh, so much over those last five, six years. Um, having been part of uh, a, a good chunk of, of that time and, and having uh, worked with so many customers, I, I see how you know this this hype really translates in, in, into outcome. Um, and I believe we're we're on an uh, exceptionally exciting trajectory to see even more of that innovation as more people learn about AI, as you get more familiar. If you've done, if if, if you're doing your own projects, your experiments. Um, as more of us, like here, talk about it in, in the community and, and we share these best practices and what we've seen work and maybe not work so well, 
so that we all can learn together. That's the part that really excites me because there is a lot of opportunity. We just need to, to capitalize on it and, and we just need to uncover it and, and make it happen. Same here. Um, I echo that as well. I think we had a period of hype and that's that happens with any new technology, right? <laughs> but yeah. now we're in the period where you can actually make meaningful impact uh, for your organization using some of this technology. The cost has come down. The expertise is more readily available. And um, I think it's getting to the point where it's not going to be optional. Like your company is either going to be a data-driven, AI-powered, machine-learning-powered organization, or they're going to get disrupted or they're no longer going to be around. So right, right now, I think maybe still kind of an optional kind of like pro uh, type of investment. But, you know, pretty soon it's going to be like you're either data-driven or you're not. And that's just going to be the binary situation. Absolutely, and that's you know that's why I, that's why it's key to to find the right opportunities and and um, have a process for it when and, and and which ones you pursue. And um, I I think you're then on on on, a, on an excellent trajectory um, to position yourself to be the disruptor and not be disrupted. Yeah, great opportunity for executives, senior leaders, people moving up to take this and like really be the advocate within their organization. A lot of opportunity there. Um, Andreas, thank you so much for chatting today. Where can people find you? What's the best way for people to follow you? I already mentioned that you have one of the best uh, LinkedIn content oh. feeds out there uh, with AI and RPA. So definitely, I know we can, we can follow you on LinkedIn anywhere else that, that people can check you out. So for, for now, uh, LinkedIn is, is really the best place to be. Um, I, I run something that I call a passion project and, and I call it the intelligence briefing. So check that out on, on, on LinkedIn um, because I, I want to help uh, aspiring AI program leads find the best practices, set their programs up uh, for success and, and for scale. And um, that's, again, why I'm really excited that, that we can have conversations like this um, in, in a virtual format and, and share what we see, but also get questions from uh, from the audience on these topics. So follow the intelligence briefing and me on LinkedIn. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Andreas. Thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for all your great insights and content on LinkedIn. And I'm sure we'll be chatting again soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.